Well, church family, we're going to continue worshiping by reading God's Word together. And if you have a copy of the Scriptures, and I hope that you do, would you join me in the book of 1 Corinthians? The book of 1 Corinthians. There was a follower of Jesus by the name of Paul, and we've come to know him as the Apostle Paul. And he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, a Greek city, uh, Nashville, the Athens of the South, if you will, uh, very similar in a lot of the things that were going on, whether it be the first century Corinth or 21st century Nashville. So when we read even this text today, one of the things you're going to see is just how applicable it is to our lives and our relationships and our careers and our pursuits. So I hope you'll join me in 1 Corinthians. As you're turning there, let me share with you that in this sermon series, the past couple of weeks, we've actually looked at some texts in the book of Genesis. And one of the things that I shared a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a group of people who were building their lives and planning, putting their plans out in front of themselves and saying, here's what we want for our future. And they never invited God into those plans how greatly the Creator wants to be part of what we, the created, are intending on doing with our lives. And so we talked about some practical ways that we can invite God into our plans. And last week we looked at the reality of a man named Joseph who uh, had been mistreated by his family and how he, uh, when he had the opportunity to either crush his family with revenge or, or to withhold forgiveness, how he chose to forgive them, how, how incredible that was. And I prompted us, what are, what are some ways we might forgive others who have hurt or mistreated us? And there was some practical application. One of the reasons I would ponder or prompt like application with doing something is because I'm concerned that for many of us in North America, we, we might attend worship on Sunday morning, but if we don't do anything with the lyrics of the songs that we sing, with, with the prayers that we're praying, the scripture we're reading, if we don't do something to make it a practical part of the fabric of our lives, everything you experience might just stay right here within these four walls or within this building and never make it into the other 167 hours of our lives. That's why I would prompt you to apply what you've seen, read, or experienced. But you know today, if there's anything that we're going to see or read or experience from scripture that I want you to apply, it would be this. There is no one like God. There's no one with God's wisdom. There's no one with God's power. There's no one with his creativity. There's no one that is as extravagant and merciful and gracious and wonderful like our God. And the application that I would have for us most definitely as we head into the Christmas week is that we would ponder that, that we would sit with that, that we would cherish that, and that we would be incredibly in awe of everything our God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, which is what makes Christmas possible. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read just how wonderful God has been to us in the person of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians, we'll begin in verse 18, and we'll read through verse 25 together. It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of those that are intelligent. Now where is the one who is wise, and where is the teacher of the law, and where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, 
God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those of us who are called, in other words, to those of us who believe in Christ, whether Jew or Greek, we've come to the realization that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is even wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is even stronger than human strength. Let's pray together. God, there are moments in our lives where we feel that we are wise, we are strong, we are capable. And you remind us from this text and you remind us from your word that even the best of what we can bring and offer this world pales in comparison to how wise and how capable how creative, how incredible you are. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would not miss that, especially this week of Christmas. But more than that, would you fix the eyes and ears of our hearts and arrest our attention on who you are and what you've done for us in the person of Christ, that we might not only worship you, but that our lives might be transformed to become more like you in this world so that others can find the hope and the love and the joy and the peace that we have found in Jesus. And we say this and pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, in the previous service, we had the privilege of commissioning some of our members who are going to Guatemala the week after Christmas, and one of those leaders is one of our committed leaders within our preschool and children's ministry, and so we brought the preschoolers and the children from the far end of the building in here to pray over their leader and to see what's possible even in their own lives and how God gives people a passion to make a difference in our world. We wanted them to participate in that. And to be quite honest with you, while I was standing up here looking at them, I thought about all the moments and the ways that we're mindful of how God's growing the preschool and children's ministry here at the church. I mean, it was only a few months ago that those same children were in this room, many of them for first grade Bible presentations. I love when we do that in our church. It shows how our church is growing. Spiritually, there are people placing their faith in Jesus for the first time ever during this season of our, of our ministry there are people that are being baptized for the first time ever. There are those who are called or being compelled by Christ to go into global missions. There's some great spiritual things happening numerically. Literally, there are more children here. There are many college students. They finished up finals this past week. So many of our college students and young professionals who may be traveling and already on their way home are maybe already doing that. But the church is growing in so many ways. And one of the things that reminds me of how it is is when these children are here, and in the first grade Bible presentations, they're asked, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? We not only want to pray over you and give you God's Word so that you can read it and own it yourself, but what do you want to be when you grow up? And this year, several of the children, you know, some of the things they said, one of them said, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be an astronaut. And I thought, how, how phenomenal. What if one of the little boys or girls should grow up to be an adult that actually travels back to the moon or sets foot on Mars. I mean, exploration is part of the human spirit. Like, how fantastic would that be? A couple of the children said they want to be teachers. 
and I've said this about our healthcare professionals that are in our congregation, we're so grateful for the doctors and the nurses and all that you have had to endure the last 20 months, but, but I've also mentioned this throughout the last year. Our educators have had so much on their plate. Whether you are private school, Christian school, public school, homeschooled, it doesn't matter whether you are in administration of education. It's been very difficult. I thought, what a wonderful and worthy calling for these children to want to be teachers. And some of them said, I want to, I want to be a dancer. And somebody else said, I want to be a firefighter. And I thought, isn't that, isn't that wonderful to think about, like, this is, this is where you hope this heads. When my parents asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, like, what makes money? Like, I, I know you want more from your pastor, more maturity and more spiritual. Like, when I was about 10 or 11, I said, like, what makes money? I even asked the orthodontist that week, true story, like, is this a good profession? He said, yeah, I enjoy it. Can, can you make a little money, take your family on vacation? And he's like, yeah, yeah like, uh, sure. It's a little unconventional from an 11 or 12-year-old to be asking that while seated in the chair to get their braces adjusted. But I was thinking about where does this all go? Who am I going to become? What am I going to do for a living? It's great to dream and to think about that. It's exciting. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Mary and Joseph. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Why don't you put yourself in their shoes? Where does this all go? What would you like to be when you grow up, right? I know that's a question we ask in maybe 21st century North America. But they knew where it all goes for Jesus. Mary knew. Maybe she didn't know everything. She treasured the things God had told her in her heart. And maybe Joseph didn't know everything about God's plan, but they knew this child was destined to accomplish God's incredible plan to save and rescue humanity. And they knew that part of that plan was that this child would be born for the purpose of providing redemption and restoration between God and humanity. You see, since the Garden of Eden, because of Adam and Eve's sinful choices, there had been separation between them and God. And, and even if you say, I didn't have anything to do with that. That's several thousand years ago. Like, I wasn't asked about that. Like, it, it matters not. You and I are born as sinners on arrival, sinners in nature and sinners in choice. If left to ourselves, we would do what, what's best for us, what's best for ourselves, not what's best for others. We don't think that way as humans. I mentioned the children. You don't have to teach a child how to be selfish or still a toy in the preschool and children's area. You have to teach them how to, how to be kind and, and to share and to think others first. And so God in his goodness in the form of a child we, we would call this the incarnation. Theologically, God became flesh. John 1.14 says the word became flesh. And one translation said, and God moved into the neighborhood among us. All for the purpose of growing up to about the age of 33 or so. Jesus making his way to the cross to lay down his life in exchange for ours. You need to know Jesus never sinned in his earthly life. But while he was on the cross, fully God and fully human... He said, I'm the only one who can lay down my perfection in exchange for their brokenness. And on the cross, that's where this was all headed. What do you want to be when you grow up? They knew what he had come to do. And at about 33 years old, Jesus laid down his life on the cross for the sins of humanity. Everyone that was alive in the first century, everyone that would ever be born after that, that's us, that's you and me in the room, everyone who is to come. Jesus provided the opportunity to be forgiven for our sins, the, the chance uh, salvation, to be saved from ourselves, to be saved from our brokenness, to, to be put in a right relationship with God. It was, made, it was made available to us on the cross at Calvary. And, and that's why Paul preached Jesus crucified. I don't know if you saw that in the text. We preach, verse 23, Christ crucified. 
Because those of us who are in faith on this side of the cross know where we would be without the cross. I, I know what my life looks like without forgiveness. I know where my life is when I lead it the way I want to lead it. I've, I've tried that as a teenager, as a young man, like, this sounds good, this is what I want, and oftentimes it, it doesn't play out like what I hope. Maybe for a little while, maybe that's your story. Life is good for a little bit, but, but over a while you're left, like, even if you get everything you want in life, what if, what if you're like one of my children that about five years ago unwrapped every package in a whirling dervish on Christmas morning, finished them all, and said, is that it? Is that it? Is that it? It's like, oh my gosh. Think about the next generation. Think about what we may unintentionally be encouraging them, what it's about consuming, enjoy consuming. What if you get everything you want and you're still left empty? I know where my life would be without a crucified Savior who had provided forgiveness and salvation and release from sin's control over my life. That, that's what the cross accomplished. And Paul says, that's why we preach Jesus crucified. It's so wonderful what Jesus did for us on the cross. But, but to many of the Jews in the first century, those who grew up in and around the things of God, they knew the name Yahweh. They knew the name of God. They knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they knew that the world was beautiful, but it's broken. And they were waiting on a Savior. They were waiting on a Messiah. But they were under captivity. And they, they expected when this Messiah shows up, he'll be strong. Like, he'll look the part. He walks in the door. And it's like, you know, probably like Ryan Gosling or somebody like that. Like, they, they're handsome and they look strong. I don't know. Maybe like The Rock. Maybe not. But he looks like, don't mess with me. And, and, and he'll walk in with the politicians in his pocket. And, and he'll, he'll ride into town on this big steed or this horse with, with military powers. Like, I can, I can set people free. Like they had built up in their mind, this, that's what a Messiah should look like. That, if you read Scripture, and if you and I know Scripture, God never said that's what the Messiah would look like. But that's what they wanted. So it, it seemed foolish. Like the Messiah, the, the Christ, who, who's supposed to do everything for us that we can't do for ourselves, that we've been longing for, would let himself be crucified? Like, no way! That, 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 that's not who we're waiting on. And for the Greeks, I, I mean, think about what, what their frustration was. The the Jews felt like the gospel was a stumbling block. It was offensive to them, but the, but the Greeks thought it was foolish. Like they loved wisdom and knowledge. Y'all know that. They loved wisdom and knowledge and new teachings. And they're like, let, let me get this straight. If there is a God, like that he would humble himself and be born as an infant is, is a bit unusual. Like that's, that's vulnerable. That's like he's naked. He's dependent on others. Like, I don't know about that. But even if that were possible, you're telling me this God would give up his power and he would not use it for his own benefit. That's what gods do, you know. Th that he would actually lay that down, as Philippians 2 tells us, that Jesus never saw equality with his Father as something to be grasped and held on to for his own advantage. But that he humbled himself and became obedient to his Father's will, even to death on a cross. Like, that's ridiculous. That seems crazy. No God would do that. There's a lot of... There's a lot of counsel in here about what's foolish and what's understandable in this few verses we just read. Go back and read this text at some point this afternoon or this week. And what Paul's saying is, he says here, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who do not know Jesus, those who are separated from God. The gospel seems foolish. And I want to tell you something. The gospel often seems like foolishness before you realize its brilliance and its power. The gospel seems like foolishness before you realize its brilliance and its power. It's okay, even if you're here today, you're watching online, or you've got a friend who's a skeptic, and they're like, I just can't wrap my mind around that. Seems too simple, seems too crazy. Every one of us who are followers of Jesus in Christ, we hadn't always been saved. 
We've had our questions. We've had our doubts. But God calls us to place our faith in His finished work in, in Christ and a crucified Savior. We know, Paul says, to those who are perishing, who are not in Christ, it may seem foolish, but to those of us who are in Christ, it's the power of God to those of us who are being saved. Those of us who are called in verse 24, those of us who believe, those of us who have been saved from our sins, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that's why Paul would also tell the church in Rome, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first the Jew, then the Greek. And my plea to us, my appeal to us on this week, if, if only this week, and I pray it's every 52 weeks, but if only this week we were ever going to say, I, I, don't, I don't want to forget what Christmas is about. Yes, it's about the birth of the Christ child in a, in a barn or a stable or a cave. If you've ever been to Bethlehem, then you know there are little caves all over that Bethlehem hillside where the shepherds were watching their flocks at night. Wherever it might have been, like Christ came in that way for the purpose of laying down his life for us. And aren't we so grateful for that? Aren't we so grateful for the power of the cross, what, it, what it's promised us in our lives? I don't, I don't want to lose sight of that. And it's okay to say Christmas is all about what, what Jesus has accomplished for us in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If there's a week that the church ought not forget that or lose sight of that, it should be this week. I don't hear me say packages aren't enjoyable. Don't, don't hear me say Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole and... Josh Groban, and I said that last week, and somebody's like, uh, Josh Groban? I was like, I like Josh Groban. I'm sorry, I heard him on the Polar Express soundtrack. I've never forgotten it. <laughs> like, the, the smells, the bells, the whistle, the cider, the eggnog, the opening packages, the older you get, it is really true. Like, it is so much more fun when you hear what somebody wants, and you get it, and you give it, and they're like, oh my gosh, how did you know? And like, all of that is great. There's a house in our neighborhood that has this massive sign, about as big as a car, and it's this countdown. And this morning as I drove by, it said, seven sleeps until Christmas. I was like, yes, I love Christmas. Don't hear me say all that traditional celebration's wrong. It's not. But as the people of God gathered under the banner of the, the crucified and now resurrected Jesus, let us not forget what Christmas is all about. And it's okay if some of what God calls you to do seems inconceivable. I, I don't know how this all play out. That, that's impossible. How's God really going to be faithful? Those of us that are on the platform and those of us here in leadership who proclaim Jesus and share our testimony, we don't have it all figured out, but we've seen God be faithful over and over and over again. And he fulfills all of his promises in the person of Jesus. It, it's okay for somebody who may doubt or be skeptical about the gospel. And it's okay even after placing your faith in Christ if you're like, I just don't know how this is all. I don't know how God's going to do it. But that's why, that's why the Bible says that God is glorified in our faith, and it's impossible to please Him without our faith. So grateful for what God has accomplished in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so even if it seems foolish or silly to others, it's how God saved us. It's how He has given us purpose and meaning. And it wouldn't have happened. I mean, that's looking at the end in mind, the, the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It wouldn't have happened if He hadn't been born. I want you to think about how wonderful Advent is. The theological word is the incarnation, like him becoming flesh, God in the flesh. Without the Advent, that wouldn't have been possible. I want you to think about what God has done for us in sending Christ for us and the way Christ lived his life. You know, many of the, the Jews were asking for signs. That's what Paul says in verse 22. The Jews asked for signs. When Jesus showed up in his public ministry, between his arrival, the Advent, and his crucifixion, his death, 
Jesus appeared on the shores of Galilee and he, he performed miracles and he fed people and he healed people and, and people were amazed at that and they were like, more, more. And then, and then when he said, if you really want to follow me, you really want to be a part of what I'm doing, I want you to, I want you to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And, and admittedly, that sounds a little crazy. That sounds bonkers. And the Bible, I'm, I appreciate this is in Scripture. It says some people said, this is a hard teaching. And they left Jesus. But, but what Jesus was implying was, this is where this is headed. I'm on, my body's going to be broken for you. And my blood's going to be shed for you. If you really want to be part of the kingdom that I'm here during, during the time between my birth and my death, I'm opening up redemptive windows in our society where the Father through me and anyone who follows me, Christ in you and in me, is partnering with God's Holy Spirit, the presence of the risen Jesus, to work in partnership with him to bring about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, that's what Advent means. Like if there is an application, what do we do with this? Yes, it's just be amazed and worship God that there's nobody like him. But if there is an application, think about the way Jesus lived and what he calls the church to do and how to live now. The Jews looked for signs. They wanted signs, signs, signs. And at some point, Jesus said, are you going to do this? Are you going to follow me? If you're going to follow me, this is the type of kingdom I'm here to unleash. And people walked away, but others followed. And Jesus would intentionally go out of his way to look for people that were marginalized. And he would look for people that were wounded or hurt, the least, the lost, those who felt unloved. The, the Bible says that Jesus ate with, with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. And people were like, oh, you shouldn't do that. That's not what God would do. That's like, that's not right. Do you realize, like, they're not, not only, like, clean and, and have it all together. They're sinful. And, like, that's not, like, the cultural standard of what is, what is a successful life. Like, what are you doing hanging out with them? And, and Jesus, the Advent models for us the humble way that Jesus came. Mark 10.45 is the gospel in one sentence. Jesus says, I have not come to be served, but to serve others, so that I might become a ransom for many. That on the cross, Jesus offered himself. He served through his death on the cross. He served leading up to that point. And Jesus said, I'm here to serve did you, did you see that in the way I came? My humble birth? I'm, I'm naked. I'm exposed. Like, he's totally dependent on Mary and Joseph. If they don't feed him, if they don't bathe him, if they don't take care of him, he'd, what happens? Why would I tell you that? That's what Advent reveals. I, I want to tell you, like, if you feel vulnerable, if you feel exposed, just kind of dangling out there, you need help, you, you need somebody who knows how you feel, you, you're dependent, like, if this doesn't come through, if that doesn't happen, like you, you're dependent on others. Jesus knows how that feels. God understands how that feels. But he's God. He never gave that up. So he can do something about that. He not only can say I can identify, but he can do something about that. And, and he calls us to live with humility and in service and to not value. Remember the Greeks and the Jews, that's, that's not what a king looks like. We have our cultural standards of wisdom and power and strength, and he ain't it. And when Jesus comes along, it's, it's like he, he walks over to the picture you've been staring at in your house. And he says, you've been looking at this thing upside down. You were looking at this thing upside down. And he, and he turns it this way and says, that, that's it. That's what my father's always wanted. He's wanted everybody to know that your life has dignity and worth and value because you're created in my father's image. That's what you need to know. You, you don't have dignity and worth just based on what you do for others. You are not what you do for a living. 
We live that way. They live that way. Jesus comes along, and it's called the upside-down kingdom, but Jesus actually turns it right side up and says, here's what I'm about. And if Advent really matters, I I think we will live as if we value what Jesus valued. Let me give you an illustration of this. Got permission from my son Isaiah. You saw him on the platform, but I got permission from him to share this story. I I don't share stories about my kiddos without asking for their permission, but I I want to share this story because, remember, the Greeks and the Jews had a problem with, like, Jesus doesn't fit the bill of what's successful, what's popular, what's powerful. I'm, I'm struggling to get on board with that. And Jesus said, that's not the type of king I am. And he calls us to live as he did. Several months ago, uh, once we got past the, 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 the real grind, and it's still happening, and, and the virus is still affecting lives, but when we got past a lot of things where we could start gathering with people again, my, my 14-year-old said, I just want to have some buddies over. I just want to have some buddies over. Can, can I just have some buddies over? And we shoot hoops and eat pizza. And, and we said, yeah. And so he had about six to eight buddies over. And they were all in the house. And this is, you know, about six or seven months ago. And they're all in the house. And they're running around. And, you know, you're fixing chips and putting out the pizza. And you're hearing something shatter in the background. And you're like, whatever, you know. And you're just doing your thing. And um, behind the wall that you couldn't see where I was in the kitchen, one of his buddies said, hey, what is so-and-so doing here? And he said, and, and I could hear Isaiah be like, what? And he's like, hey, why did you invite him? He said, dude, he's in the band. And Isaiah plays sports. He plays football. So some of the other guys there were, were athletes. And he's like, he's in the band. Why did you invite him? And there was a pause. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's he going to say? That's a, that's a great question. But, like, he said, because he's my friend. I invited him because. Because I like hanging out with him. I didn't say anything, but I was like, wow. Like, wow. Um, when I was 14, I, I mean, like, I, I, I did not have that maturity. We, we, we started off the deacon ordination. We ordained a deacon three weeks ago that his father was here. I hadn't seen his father in years to start off the ordination by apologizing to his dad for falling off his treadmill and going through his drywall when I was 17 in his home. <laughs> That's what I was like as a teenager. True story. It happened right in here. So, wow, what maturity. Now, fast forward. I got permission to share this with you. My son's 6'1". Did you see him on the platform? He's 6'1". I was never 6'1 when I was 14. I'm a big guy, but I wasn't that tall. So some people come up to me, and they're like, your boys are tall. Like, I bet he's a great basketball player, isn't he? Like, he should go out for basketball. Somebody said that this morning. Oh my gosh, he's so tall, he should go out for basketball. Isaiah went out for the basketball team three weeks ago to school, and he got cut. Now, he looks the part. The, the cultural standard is he looks the part. Like, be a basketball player, right? Got to be successful. I told my son, you, you're big like me. It's going to be a blessing and a curse. People will expect you just, you should be proficient at athletics. But you hadn't grown into your body yet completely. I get that. When he was cut, I'm like, um, how you doing, bud? I sat down on the edge of the day. He's like, I'm totally fine. I haven't been working on my dribbling. I haven't been shooting. I haven't played in over a year. I'm good. Can I, can I play my video game now? I'm like, what? I, your dad is torn up. I need you to be torn up because I'm living vicariously through you. you got to make this team. you got to get a scholarship. And take care of your mom and I. Like when we're 80, like, come on. I know I'm not the only parent who thinks that way in my flesh, Okay. But, but he sat down with the coach, and I encouraged him to take a notepad in there, ask him what you can do better. And he said, it was all legit. I need, I need to be better at that. And he goes, but it's okay. He said, I'll work hard. I want to play, but I'll, I, maybe, maybe I make it, maybe I don't. 
So I said, I want to tell you something. I said, you don't know this, but six months ago, I heard somebody ask you, why do you associate with somebody? Because the cultural standard is they're not cool, they're not worth your time, they're not significant. And you said, and I know this is Jesus in you, son. I don't value things the way you do. This person's valuable in my life, and I care about them. That's why I invited them to my party. And I said, and yet, and I told my 14-year-old, looking at him in the eye, I said, and yet the world would say, you should make the, ba- you, you're six, you didn't make the basketball team? Like, this would be hard. Maybe that's hard going to the lunchroom, sitting down with the people who did make it. The cultural standard is you should, and you, oh, you, I'm so sorry. I said, I never thought that way when I was 14. I maybe did, but you've demonstrated in a way that I, I don't remember ever doing that. And I said, son, that's the way of Jesus. Like the, the advent, I told him this, that the advent is the, is the best example of how Jesus says, don't, don't value what you care about and what you think is significant based on cultural standards and expectations. But what Jesus says is important, and everyone's significant, everyone's important, everyone's valuable. And I said, I don't care if you make the team. I don't care if you get a scholarship. I don't care. You love Jesus. I know he does. He's torn up about injustice and things that are not right with this world. And I said, I couldn't be more proud of you as a dad. I don't care if you ever make that team. Because you got it. Don't you ever lose that. You got it. Don't wait till you're 24 or 34 or 44. Now, the reason I would tell you that is this. There are children and there are teenagers and there are young adults that are modeling for us the way of Christ because they've had an authentic encounter with Jesus. And they've said, I don't want to keep chasing the Greeks and the Jews and all these people Paul was talking to in Corinth. I don't want to chase the cultural standard because it's inaccurate, it's wrong. And Jesus said, you got your priorities out of whack. This is what's important. This is what matters. And my 14-year-old preached to me in my kitchen and reminded me the way of Jesus. If there is an application... Perhaps it's this. God, there's nobody like you. Christmas reminds us there's nobody like our God. We love you for that. We worship you for that. Let us not forget that amidst all the revelry and the celebration and the tradition of Christmas in America. Let us not forget that. But Father, let us live in the way that you demonstrated in Christ's arrival and the ministry of Jesus. Let us walk in Jesus' footsteps. Let us treat others with dignity and respect. Let us serve others, not seek to be served. If there is an application, and maybe you're hearing this, and there are some priorities in your life you need to reprioritize. You put value on things that are important and meaningful, and God cares about them, but they're not eternally significant. They're not, shouldn't be at the top of your list. And the Lord's like, let's reprioritize. Come follow me. I mean, that's what Advent is all about. A God who could do anything he wants to, but chooses to initiate relationship with the people he's created for the purpose of dwelling alongside of us and through the power of the risen Jesus being in us. And by the way, the wisdom and the power of God, like when you're making your decisions and you're planning your trips and you're thinking about those conversations you need to happen in the weeks ahead, if the power and the wisdom of God is manifest in the person of Jesus and Christ is alive inside of you, How silly would it be not to ask Jesus to speak into, to guide, to shepherd, to lead, and to counsel us in one of the busiest times of our lives, one of the busiest times of our year. That's the power of the gospel. 
that God would do that for us. And then he invites us to follow in his footsteps. This is the type of kingdom I'm establishing. Come join me in this work. So I want to give you an opportunity to think about what you need to ponder this morning. Maybe this is just to sit for the next couple of minutes and tell God there's nobody like you. I'm so grateful that Christ was born in the way that he was born and what you sent him to do. That's what Christmas is all about. I just worship you and praise your name. Glory in the highest heavens to you. Maybe you want to give that praise to Jesus in the next couple of minutes. Maybe you just want to pray and say, Lord, I want to, I want to live in a way that demonstrates the type of kingdom that you came to establish. And Advent is the first clue of what that looks like. Give me a humble heart. Give me a sacrificial heart. Give me a servant-like heart. I want to be like you. Maybe that's what you want to pray over the next couple minutes. Let me invite our worship team to come back up to the platform. And let me encourage you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute in this room.